Presented by the United States Sentencing Commission, this is Sentencing Practice Talk, a regular podcast for federal sentencing practitioners covering topics of interest. Here are your hosts, Ebisabi Yisa and Krista Rubin. All right, so we talked last episode about Mathis, and, and I think we decided to make that a standalone episode because it's, it's a really important case. Yes. And I, again, I urge people to read it if you haven't already. Um, the dissent is also pretty funny. But, um, you know, it's, it's a case that sort of brought into our vocabulary more distinctly, I think, the words divisibility and the concept of divisibility. So we thought we'd spend a little bit of time talking about divisibility um, in this episode. And what it actually means as right. far as the analysis right. is concerned. Um, so we already said that the court needs to determine whether a statute is divisible or not. Right. And what that means is that the court needs to determine if a statute contains multiple crimes. Right. Or if a statute contains multiple ways to commit one crime. Right. And if a statute contains multiple crimes, that statute is divisible. Right. And if it's divisible, you can go on to the next step of looking at those documents, right? That's why we're doing this whole, it's not just an intellectual exercise, it's can we look at these other documents? And I think it's important to note that if a statute is divisible, it contains multiple crimes, the court can look to the documents. Yeah, right. But not to look at the facts. No, 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 facts never matter. Right, <laughs> only to look to see if the court can drill down and, and say with certainty which crime. Right, and elements. Which elements the defendant was convicted of. Right, I mean, I think, I used to think of the modified categorical approach as like an exception to the categorical approach, but really, I think the way Mathis distills it for us, it's that it's actually a way to help you do the categorical approach, right? It's, it's a way to aid you in the categorical approach when you've got the statutes with the ors, right? With the options, when you can do it this way, this way, or this way. Right. And so it's not an exception to the rule. So I don't want people to think that looking at the documents all of a sudden means, well, I get to look to see how he committed the offense. Right. That's not what that means. Right. You're doing the modified to help you figure out the elements to help you do that elements to elements analysis. Well, and I feel like um, our listeners might be getting tired of us repeating the term elements, but <laughs> it really, it's the key to the it analysis. Is. And so an element is, as we've mentioned, what the government needs to prove. Right. And that's what we're looking at in the categorical approach. Right. I remember when I practiced, a, a judge used to say, you know, at every plea colloquy, he would tell my clients, you know, the elements are like the necessary part of the recipe. Now, I don't know how I felt about that analogy, but I liked where he was going, which is this is what you got to put in the mix to get a conviction. Right. And if it's the thing that like defines the crime. You know what I mean? It's it's what tells you what the crime is, and it's it's so important to 
all of categorical approach, but especially to, to the divisibility analysis. Well, let's take a look at an, an example, okay? Right. Just to further illustrate what elements mean when the government's trying to secure a conviction. All right, well, I thought we would start with a pretty common federal offense, right? Felon in possession of a firearm. Okay. And so, you know, if we start to think about that, I always pick it because it's one where I think most people know what the elements are, right? And the, the way I always think of it is, okay, if somebody tells me I have a conviction for being a felon in possession of a firearm, what do I know that person admitted to, right? I know they admitted to being a person who's got a prior conviction for more, where the max is more than a year, right? They're a felon. Right. I know that they knowingly or intentionally possessed, right? Right. A firearm. And then the last part is important. That was in or affecting interstate commerce. Okay. Right? So if somebody told me they pled guilty to that, I know that they admitted all of these things. Okay. Right? That's right. If they went to trial, I know that a jury was unanimous on all of these things. Beyond a reasonable doubt, the government had to prove this, right? So, for example, if somebody wasn't, con like, let's say the government forgot to put in evidence about interstate commerce. That defendant could not be found guilty, right? Right. Let's say the jurors couldn't, were not unanimous on whether the defendant intentionally or knowingly possessed it, right? Maybe three of the jurors thought it was an accident or it wasn't his or somebody had left it in there and he didn't know about it, right? And if they went back to the court and said, judge, we can't be unanimous on that second element, right? The judge would tell them, like, either if you're not unanimous, then he can't be found guilty, right? Right. So it's like the necessary part. It's what you put to make the crime. And so on the other end, on the opposite extreme, okay. if the jury does not have to be unanimous on an issue, that means it is not an element. Exactly, right? Elements equal unanimity, right? And I always think about you know, jury instructions. Like the judge says, these are all the things you have to find unanimously. And so to take your example about when something does not have to be found unanimously, if we go back to the Iowa burglary statute, mm -hmm. right, which is what Mathis was about, that was last episode, what they found in Iowa was that, you know, Iowa criminalizes burglary of an occupied structure, okay? And the occupied structure lists a whole bunch of places somebody could burglarize. So let's say that you and I, Krista, are on a jury. And like you said, you and I cannot decide. I think he broke into a house. You think he broke into the car in the garage, right? So right. you're saying, I'm saying it's a burglary of a building. You're saying it's a burglary of an automobile. Yes. Okay. And we will not come off our positions. And we go to the judge and we say, judge, we're trying, but we just cannot come to an agreement here, right? Six of us say it's a house and six of us say it's a car. What do we do, right? The judge can tell us two things. He could either say, if you can't be unanimous on whether it was a house or a car, 
right, then he can't be found guilty. And we know that from our previous example, that's an element, right? What if he goes back, what if we go back and he says, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that six and six are divided. As long as all 12 of you agree that it was one of these things listed under the term occupied structure, you can find the man guilty. Mm -hmm. So now we know that building versus car versus automobile versus boat, those are not elements, right? It doesn't matter. Breaking and entering into a house is not necessary for a conviction, right? Right. It's just breaking into that structure. Right. And so think about when I tell you, oh, Krista, I've got a conviction for felon in possession. You know certain things about what I admitted to. Right. But if I tell you I have a conviction in Iowa for burglary, do you necessarily know that I broke into a building or structure? No. Right. Because it's not an element. It doesn't matter. And so unit, jury unanimity is one way I think about an element. Well, and so... We, leading up to this episode, we talked about, before we got into the divisibility and the mathis, that some statutes are, have options. Yep. And they're a bit more complicated right. than others. I think Iowa burglary is one of those optional option statutes. So how do we know if a statute is divisible? What do we, where can we look to find out whether... These are elements or means. Right. And I think, let me start with what Justice Kagan did in Mathis, right? So what she did in Mathis is she said, well, I don't know if occupied structure is an element or a mean because I've never practiced in Iowa. So Justice Kagan looked to see how the state Supreme Court defined that statute. She actually looked up cases in Iowa in the highest court of Iowa. And she said, all right, what do they say are the elements, right? Like, how does, how does the Supreme Court or the highest court in Iowa, what do they define as elements? Which is how she found out that in Iowa, unanimity on which occupied structure was not required, right? So state's Supreme Court or the highest court of your state, their opinions defining their crime is one way to figure out whether or not something is a means or an elements. Or rather, I don't call it means versus elements. I call it more like, what are the elements, right? right? How do I figure out the elements of this offense with the or, right, with the disjunctive? So I think state Supreme Court statute will give you, in Mathis at least, she said, this is the answer. And again, this requires lots of Westlaw research. Okay. So that's one option. But there's one. All right. I've got an easier one, though. Great. <laughs> Sometimes you get a statute that lists m multiple penalties, right? And I don't know if you've ever seen these. They don't come up as often. But sort of, let me do a riff on Iowa burglary, right? Let's say instead of occupied structure in Iowa, if you burglarized a building or structure, the stat max was five years. But if you burglarized a car or a boat or an airplane, it was three years, right? Right. What does that tell us? So that to me says that burglarizing a building or a structure is a different crime right. than burglarizing a car, a boat, or a plane. Right, and that to get from three-year max to a five-year max, the government actually has to prove that it was a building or structure. 
right? Because you can't get increased penalties without proving it to the jury. That's the Apprendi issue. Right. Okay, so if you find multiple penalties, great. West Virginia has like a wounding statute that says if you do it intentionally, it's this much time, but if you do it recklessly, it's this much time. So if you find multiple penalties, you don't have to do anything else. You do not have to do state case law research. You don't have to look at jury instructions. You're good. That is a divisible statute. And then, again, knowing what divisibility means, it means you can look to those documents to figure out, well, did did he get a five-year max, right? Did he get something more than five years? Did he admit to this burglary? That's an element, right? So different penalties is a gold mine, if and, you can find it. And so, okay, so we're different penalties. That means that statute is easier to analyze than right. others. For the more difficult ones, as with other aspects of the categorical approach, we're going to look at state case law. Yep. Maybe jury instructions. Jury instructions is a good one. Um, but it involves this more in-depth research. Right. And I think at the end of the day, what the bottom line is with divisibility is <laughs> that if a statute's divisible, we can look at the documents. Right. But if it's not, end it. Game over. Right. Forever. 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 I want to be clear. Forever, right? Math is lost. And that means everybody who comes behind him, we don't look at Iowa burglary anymore, right? Right. Because it's not just it's not just that it's indivisible, right? That's not that's not the only problem, right? <laughs> because remember when we first started talking about Iowa burglary, we said, huh? Well, occupied structure says building or structure, which we know is a match, but then it says all these other things like a car, a boat, an airplane, which are not a match, right? right? So it's indivisible and overbroad. Right. And that's when it's over, right? right? Because it means, if it's indivisible, it means you can never look at the documents. And if it's overbroad, it means it's, it covers more conduct than generic burglary. So it is not a burglary for ACCA purposes. Yes. I think that's the key point to yeah. remember. Game over. Game over. And you don't get to go back. Right. You don't get to reinvent the wheel. Can I do a converse? Because I got a question on this when I was training. Somebody sure. said, well, what do you do if a statute is divisible, right? You've done the analysis. Like, let's say we're back in the multiple penalties. Okay. Okay. And I know it's divisible. I don't have to do case law research, but I can't get those. Uh, I, I can't find the doc. There are no document. Maybe the case is old. The documents don't exist. What does that mean, right? So it means for this particular defendant, you don't have the documents. You can't tell, right? It's not going to count. But if you find something is, is divisible, then you do live another day, right? Right. You, maybe the next defendant will have a case from a year ago. With the documents. With the documents. Right. Right? And so I think it's important, because we spend so much time talking about divisibility, and people are like, why do I care, right? Right. And it's not just that you either look at the documents or you don't. It's that, you know, it could mean that forever, like, 
Iowa burglary is done. Right. Forever. 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 Right? If something is indivisible and overbroad, you're done. Anybody who comes after Mathis with Iowa burglary, never going to count. It can never be used in the ACCA context as a violent felony. It is gone forever. Right. Because what that means is, if it's indivisible, you can't look at the documents. And if you're looking at the statute as a whole, we know it covers things that are beyond generic burglary. So I think we've talked a lot about divisibility, and I think now we should talk about, you know, maybe some documents you can use when you do find something is divisible. Or on the other side, what happens if the documents don't exist? Then what do you do, right? So maybe we can talk about some of these documents that we've been uh, alluding to in the last eight episodes. All right. This wraps up our episode of Sentencing Practice Talk, today brought to you by the United States Sentencing Commission. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to check back often for new topics. Sentencing Practice Talk, a regular podcast on federal sentencing issues. Please be advised that information provided by the Commission staff is offered to assist in understanding and applying the sentencing guidelines. The information does not necessarily represent the official position of the Commission, should not be considered definitive, and is not binding upon the Commission, the Court, or the parties in any case.